Fred is very funny. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to Christian Life Church, and I just want to give my appreciation to those of you who came out and supported the Courageous movie last night by inviting people, by being here, and we had a good crowd. I, I was very pleased with the turnout and the resolution, the document that gets signed in the movie for men that are committing to live a life of integrity as a father, employee, husband, and all those things. We sold several of those last night uh, to guys that were looking to make that step forward in their relationship with God and their family. So thank you for your support of that. Uh, I just want to say Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. And for those of you, uh, well, this is not just for fathers. This is for men. Afterwards, we have these uh, very nice LED flashlights over here, camouflage that say Men of Valor, and they work really well. So they won't just uh, end up in a junk drawer somewhere. They're actually useful. So please, guys, after service, come up, help yourself to one of those. Uh, also, I want to announce that we have tickets for sale. You've seen the announcement up there for the Schaumburg Boomers minor league baseball team on Friday, July 13th. We're going to be taking a group there. Well, you're on your own to get there, but we bought a block of tickets. So those are available in the lobby for $10 a ticket, and I've got a block of 50 of them, so hopefully you can get them as soon as you can. And my wife, Jody, over there, yes, I would not be a father without her, so thank you, Jody. And she'll be out there selling tickets for this event, and uh, if you guys are interested in that, this is not just for men, this is for everybody, though. Come on out go to the table, and she will get those tickets to you. Um, what I want to do now, last week when I came up, I said, when I'm a police officer and I bring a bag of goodies into schools to talk to kids, they're all excited because they get prizes. Last week, I had no prizes. This week, I've got prizes. So we're going to take a very short survey of fathers here. And what I would like to do, I've got four different categories and each category is going to have a winner. So, what I need right now is I need the father who has the most kids to stand up. So now, now we're going to start, we'll start with four. If you've got four kids or more, go ahead and stand up. Holy cow. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. Wow, doing well. All right, if you have five kids, stay standing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Ted, there goes our best-dressed dad. Man, I was hoping. All right. Six kids. Any six? Oh, my goodness. What is wrong with you men? <laughs> six kids. All right. Dare I say, any seven kids out there? Okay. Uh, just, you did hear me, right? Seven is where? Okay, eight. Do we have any eight kids out there? Oh, all right. Can you bring that? So our official Courageous Cup, Don Minkley, congratulations on having eight kids. And congratulations on having... There's more? Do you have eight? Are there more? Are we still going? Eight. Okay. Eight kids. This is not eight kids and counting, right? Just, just to clarify. Okay. All right. Secondly, I have a... Don, you may be exempt from this. We're going to go to grandkids. So let's start with... We'll, we'll start at a high number. Let's go with seven grandkids. 
All right, seven. Okay. All right, seven grandkids. All right, men, eight grandkids. Nine. Don't worry, we're working on that, Pastor Marilyn. No, we're not. <laughs> really, our work is done. Okay, nine. Ten grandkids. Okay. Ed, how many grandkids do you have? Eleven. Don, how many do you have? Okay. Don? Here, Don, just take the bag. <laughs> okay, Don, congratulations. However, quit trying to milk the system. Sit down. You're not getting any more prizes. Ed, Alexi, I have something for you. Time for God with for uh, time with God for fathers or grandfathers, however the case may be. Congratulations, Ed. <clears throat> All right, Don and Ed, I think you're going to be exempt from this one. I want the most recent father to uh, stand up here. So, do we have any fathers that represent babies that are under a year old in here? Oh boy, this is going to get ugly. Yes, I know. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's, where, you know, I'm kind of like Thomas. I need to see proof. We got it right there. What you... <laughs> okay. Uh, we need some ages here. How many months old? Three months. Oh, that's going to be tough to beat. Oh, they both, they both just sit down. All right. Well, congratulations. You get the courageous soundtrack CD, so. All right, now I want to do, if you have the best-looking son-in-law. So, Pastor Merrill, if you could step up here, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No, how about sit down? Let's go with that. All right, but I do, uh, for this final category, for this final category, I have, uh, I was going to do best-looking son-in-law, but, you know, again, that would narrow the competition. So instead, what I did, I was going to do best-looking grandkids, but then again, Pastor Merrill would also be a shoe-in. So what I decided to go with is the spiritual father of Christian Life Church. That way, I can still give my father-in-law a present, and it's, it's legitimate. So I think we should all give the spiritual father of Christian Life Church, Pastor Merrill, a hand. God bless you. No more prizes. I got one more prize, but it's for my dad. I'm giving it after church. I'm not giving it to any of you. So uh, what I'd like to do now is just uh, tell you a short tale about my childhood growing up with two older brothers and the amount of wrestling that took place in our basement. Anytime mom or dad left the house, guys, I'm sure many of you can, re can relate, that meant the mattresses came off the bed onto the floor, the couch cushions went onto the floor, and we had makeshift turnbuckles. You know, my parents weren't happy when I'd pull a Georgie Animal Steel and start ripping all the insides out of the, the cushions. But we would always wrestle. So if it were the Von Erichs or the Road Warriors, whoever it was, we would always make our list of wrestlers. And I have to apologize to Mr. DiBiase that he was not always one of my top picks. I mean, I had, 
you know, the Road Warriors are my guys, and I do the, oh, what a rush, and I do all the voice. And, but where I love picking Ted is when I would get to do the interview time, because there was nobody better on the mic doing interviews than the villainous Ted DiBiase. And when the Million Dollar Man would get up there and do the laugh, we just, it just made us, it entertained us every time. And so he was one of our wrestling choices that we would pick. So, Ted, I just have a bill from my mom for a couple of broken couches, um, a few missing panels in the ceiling, but we'll take care of that later. And it's in the, check's in the mail, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. But anytime Ted comes to town, I love the opportunity to invite as many guys as I can to come see him. And early on, before I heard Ted ever speak from this pulpit, it was because, oh, he's a wrestler, so that's the hook. Let's get him in here to hear the wrestler. But now, it's just so much more than that. Yeah, that's the initial, guys, come here, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man's preaching at our church. But after I've heard Ted, I appreciate so much the integrity that he shares from this pulpit and his heart for the integrity of men specifically. And it's a message that needs to be heard in our churches. So with that, I would just like to welcome to the pulpit the Million Dollar Man, Ted Ubiasi. <laughs> Thank you. Well, folks, it is certainly a pleasure for me to be here with you again. And uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, weren't here, uh, the last time that I was here, or one of the times that I've been here. Um, your church and your church family have a, a very important role to play in, in my spiritual journey. 20 years ago this year, 20 years ago this past Easter, uh, two days after I had confessed the most horrible confession imaginable to my wife, I joined a, my pastor friend, who's my mentor today, a guy named Hal Santos, and his group of kids rode on a bus from uh, Fairview Heights, Illinois, near St. Louis, up to Chicago for the Ascension Convention. And in that big ballroom at the Hyatt Regency Hotel 20 years ago, when the altar call was given, I was the first guy up the aisle on my face, and my life has never been the same since. So, and it was, it's 20, 20 years ago. Of course, I never dreamed in a million years that that would one day lead me to surrender to full-time ministry and evangelism, which is what I've done. For the past 12 years, uh, I have been a full-time evangelist. Um, God had a plan for my life, but I was 38 years old when I began to understand what genuine Christianity looks like, what it really means to be not only a Christian, but a real man. Uh, another one of those men in my life, a man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord, uh, whose ministry had a tremendous impact on my life. As I was riding to Chicago, Pastor Hal hands me this book titled Maximized Manhood by Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. And that book basically just tore me up one side and down the other. Because as I was sitting there reading about what a real man looks like, I felt like crawling under a rock because I was so far from it. And basically what Dr. Cole said was this, the genuine manhood is synonymous with Christ-likeness. The more Christ-like you are in character, the more of a man you are. That being a real man is not about big muscles, biceps, how much beer you can drink, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive. It's about the strength of your character and your integrity. 
And the real man is a man of his word. His word is his bond, and he's only as good as his word. And if his word's no good, quite frankly, he's worthless. And the real men are servant husbands. They place their family, their wives and their children, and the needs of their wife and their children above all other needs. So guys, it's, it's not our job, first and foremost, to be the breadwinner. It's to be the priest in our home. And we are called upon by God. And we will stand accountable before God for the spiritual well-being of our families. And, of course, I started learning those things when I was 38. So I want to congratulate all the fathers in the room. And, but as in sports, there's an old saying, you're only as good as your last game. In other words, you can't be satisfied with what you've done. Now you've got to get up and do it again. Another coalism. The only constant in maturing is change. I'll say that again. The only constant in maturing is change. You know, from the, from the moment that we become Christians, what we're really saying when we, when we accept Christ is we, we finally realize that we are flawed, that we can't do it on our own, that we'll never make it on our own, and we're crying out to Jesus saying, help me. Jesus, I, I accept the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. Now here's my life, and you do with my life whatever you want. Now I'm going to quit trying to push my agenda down your throat. You show me your will and purpose in my life, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I finally did. And that journey started when I was 38. Um, the amazing thing is, in, in spite of the way I hurt my wife, my wife was an incredible example to me. I'm telling you, uh, I married an angel. My wife, in the midst of her worst betrayal uh, and depression, hurt, had this enormous faith in God, and she said this to me. She said, you know, you know, Ted, in spite of what you've done to me and how you've hurt me, you are a tremendous father. And she goes, I don't want to destroy that. Your boys hold you on a pedestal. She goes, so they don't know anything about this until they're old enough to understand it. That's wisdom. And uh, God not only saved me that day, but the greatest surprise of my life was that 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 God restored our marriage. That we, have, as of this last New Year's Eve, been married 30 years. And uh, what a blessing. But back to fathers. That journey. I share a message I call the tale of two fathers. The first thing I would say, though, is that the basic need of every child, the basic need of every child is love and acceptance. All children need to know that they are loved and they are accepted and that they have value. And every child needs the affirmation of a father. As a speaker, I speak to a lot of men. It seems that as I have gone forward in ministry, the more doors that open now all the time are to a lot of men. And I speak in a lot of prisons. Uh, and in speaking in one of these prisons, I said this to a group of men. I said, you might be sitting here, and you've never had that. 
You've never had a father hug you. You've never had a father encourage you, affirm you, tell you that you were worthy of anything. A lot of those guys don't even know their fathers, and the only thing they've ever heard their fathers say to them is, uh, you'll never amount to anything. You know, and there's a lot of absentee fathers that are at home every night. They come home, they sit down, they turn on the TV, and that's it. They don't go to the ball games. they're not engaged. And I told these guys, it was one of those God moments, I think, where I said, you know what? If you've never had that, if you've never had a father hug you and tell you that he loves you, I'm the substitute tonight. Jesus said, I will never leave you to forsake you. He is the father of the fatherless. And folks, I'm here to tell you, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen to see like 20 or 30 guys. And I'm, I'm looking at guys that got, they've got tattoos and they look like they could, you know, chew you up and spit you out for lunch. Line up and come up and put their arms around my neck and just weep. It's amazing. So I want to challenge you today, dads, because we're only as good as our last game. We're only as good as our last game. There's a thing I call the father wound. And it's amazing how many men walk around with this. You know, I wonder how many guys in this room were as fortunate as I was to have been raised by a loving father who set a tremendous example and demonstrated to me what being a dad should be and what it looks like. Because there's a lot of guys that haven't. And there's a lot of guys who have gone through life. And because they didn't have that love and affirmation from their dad, they've become very bitter and they're holding a grudge. I mean, there's two aspects. There. There's either those who have suffered the father wound. And there's many who have caused the father wound. There's two, two categories there. When I speak to students, this is what I say to them. I, said, I say to them all the time, you cannot choose the circumstances of your life. And none of us can choose our parents. We couldn't choose, you can't choose to be born into affluence or into poverty or somewhere in the middle. You can't choose to be born black or white, yellow or green. You can't choose to have parents that love you and nurture you. And certainly you don't choose parents that would harm you and abuse you in countless ways. We can't choose the circumstances of our life, but we all choose what we do with them. The cards have been dealt. Now you've got to play the hand you've been dealt and you've got to play it to win. And there's two choices. You're either going to do whatever you have to to rise above a bad circumstance and situation or you're going to use that as a crutch for the rest of your life and be bitter about it and use it as, a, as, a, as a, an excuse to fail. My mother and her grief when my father, my stepfather Mike died, sank into alcoholism and I would hear her say things like, I just wish I'd die, I have nothing to live for anymore. And unfortunately my mother at the age of 56, died the complications due to alcoholism. My mother chose to wallow in self-pity. 
But if you heard her talk about it, it was always her reason. It's not a reason. It's an excuse. And the answer to all of this is Jesus. Traveling around the country, sharing my story and the gospel through my story and, the, and my salvation experience. So many times, ladies will come up to me after the service and say, it's wonderful what God's done in your life. We'd really like to hear from her. And what they're saying is, how'd she do it? So my wife and I have started going and doing some couples ministry. And one of the things that my wife says that is so profound, she goes, you know, it's really very easy, but it's very hard. It's one word, obedience. She said, when Ted confessed to me his adultery, that's all I could do. He asked for forgiveness. He cried. He wept. But that was it. He couldn't pay for it. He couldn't take it back. At that point, the only one that could do anything with it was me. She said, the only thing... Again, the only choices I had were to either hang on to it or let it go. And she said, if you hang on to anger and bitterness long enough, well, it's just like having a baby. When you have a child, well, it starts to grow. And if you keep feeding that anger, that baby, well, pretty soon it's not a baby, pretty soon it's a toddler. You're not carrying it like this, you're carrying it over here on your hip. And if you keep carrying it, pretty soon it's a teenager, and then it's a full-grown adult, now you're carrying it around on your back. And you will carry it right to your grave. And said, when you hang on to anger and bitterness, it's like, taking, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. Because the only one that suffers from anger and, and, and hate and unforgiveness, it's not the object of your anger, it's you. And the other thing, my friends, that you need to know is that when you hang on to that, you give the devil full reign. If you know your Bible, you need to know this. God cannot hear your prayers if you are harboring a grudge of any kind. Forgive. Forgive. My wife said, she goes to Ephesians 4, but she said this. She said, when it says, get rid of all anger, bitterness, all of those things we're to get rid of. The word in Greek, to get rid of, means literally, get rid of it how? Fast. If somebody threw a snake on you, how fast would you get rid of it? That's how fast we're supposed to get rid of it. Now, of course, we all know that in, our, in the flesh, that's impossible. And I have to share this story with you. I, shared it, I was sharing in a church in the Bronx about anger and bitterness, like I am right now. Before the service was even over, a young black fellow stood to his feet like this and just weeping. And all, his hand up was basically saying, I'm in agreement with you. I got it now. At the end of the service, he came up to me and he said, Ted, he said, he said I want to thank you because finally through your message today, God has finally given me the strength to, to forgive. And I said, that's wonderful. He said, but I want you to understand what I have forgiven. This young man was from R Rwanda. 
and mercenaries had come into the village. You know, there's a huge trade now, traf trafficking women into sexual slavery and kids into slavery. And he said, I was held and forced to watch my wife and children hacked to death with machetes. When he said that, I threw my arms around his neck and I began to weep. And in my mind, all I could see was my wife and my children. And I said, God, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And God immediately spoke to my heart and said, no, not in your strength. But in my strength, all things are possible. So I want to say to you fathers in this room today, if you're one of those men who maybe didn't get, get the break that I got, don't keep harboring the grudge. Because to hang on to anger and bitterness for something your father did or didn't do for you is not the way of Jesus. Let it go. And if the only way you can do that is to seek his strength, then understand that it's in his strength that, that you'll find it. And then I would say to the fathers in the room that are on the other end of that, maybe you're sitting here right now and there's a son or a daughter that, you know what? You haven't done right by them. I would say to you on Father's Day, when you leave this church, go straight to them or get on a phone and call them and make it right. It'll change your life. Absolutely change your life. I call it the tale of two dads. You know, I was, again, my biological parents divorced when I was two. My biological father's name was Theodore Tate Wills. Ted Wills. And he was a professional singer. As a matter of fact, he was Tennessee Ernie Ford's backup. And he had a very, very deep bass voice. And although I have the very deep bass voice, I couldn't carry a tune if it had handles on it. <laughs> I didn't get the gift. He was a singer. My mother and he divorced when I was two. My mother always told me, he said, your dad is not a bad guy. He just didn't have any ambition. He just waited around thinking it would just drop in his lap. And, you know, women are very, you know, security is a very important thing. I get that. Mike DiBiase came into my life when I was five. Bigger than life. National amateur wrestling champion out of the University of Nebraska. Seven-time Letterman, only four guys have ever done that there. I didn't know any of that when I was five. All I knew is this man loved my mother. He loved me. He gave me a home. He gave me his name. And he loved me as his own. And I was grateful. I didn't have to wear a sign around my neck for everybody to know that I loved my dad. I can remember people coming up to me and saying, gosh, you want to be just like your dad, don't you? And I go, how do you know? How can you tell? And they'd laugh at me, literally laugh at me. i say, are you kidding? By everything you say and do. What I understand as a Christian today is that same attitude of heart. The attitude of heart that drove me to want to be so much like my earthly 
father is the attitude of heart I must have for my Savior. Because if that's not where I'm at, then I'm not really a Christian. I wanted to be just like him. So that's why I wanted to be in such a crazy business, wrestling. It was so important for me to be just like him. And gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, your kids won't always do what you tell them to. But I promise, they'll always do what they see you do. You know, we can preach to our children all day. And we can tell them all the right things to do and all the right ways to live. But our, our children learn from us. Most of all, by what they see. Our actions speak louder than words. And I want to share with you today um, something with you that's, that's fairly personal, but I just think that's what really reaches people. Um, just so you know, the one, one category that wasn't mentioned was who's a first-time grandfather, me, four weeks ago. My son, Ted Jr., gave me my first grandson. And I can't believe, I never thought that I could love anything more than I love my old children, and I'm wrong. I am just obsessed with this kid. But um, my son sent his mother a text message, and, and it was, um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. Uh, I don't know what, it, it, you won't understand right what he's saying at the very first, but then you'll get it. She had said something about uh, the baby or something, and he says to her, well, show everyone a picture of the little guy and tell him all it was worth it. Because if you hadn't loved like Jesus loves, then he probably wouldn't be here. You taught us all how to love in a deeper, more unconditional way that will carry over into my children and their children and so on. One amazing act of love and forgiveness that you showed will change the lives of millions. My son is talking about the fact that his mother forgave me. And because I am now in the ministry and serving God in the ministry, that that's touching a lot of lives. He said, I promise. I love my mama and Tate's honey so, so much. Tate, my grandsons, my, my, my son said to me, Dad, we're not going to have Theodore Marvin DiBiase III. It sounds real good, but we're not going there. So he named him, this is really unique, he named him Tate. Now he didn't, he had no idea that my biological father's middle name was Tate. He didn't know that. He said, we're going to call him Tate McKinley. DiBiase, same initials, TMD, and we're going to just call him T-Mac for short. And I said, I like it. And so as grandparents, I am now going to be referred to as Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it fits. 
and, and my wife will be referred, referred to as honey. So that's what he's saying here. And I'm so proud of you. You may never get inducted into some hall of fame, but I guarantee you your eternal treasure and reward will be comparable to very few, as it will be as far and as wide as you can see. I love you, love you, love you. And you'll always be in my hall of fame. So after reading this, I sent, I read what my son had said to his mother and she showed it to me. So I, I sent this message back to my son. I said, I read what you wrote your mama, Teddy. And I wholeheartedly agree. I said, she's in my hall of fame for sure. She's the wind beneath my wings. She's my hero. I said, I love you, son. I'm so happy for you and proud of you. I've not been able to think about anything but that little T-Mac. I said, I cried as I looked at him and thought of how I almost missed this in my, in, in my life with my boys. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the angel that is my wife and the gifts that are my boys. And thank you for this most precious little gift that is my grandson. God, you are so good to me. My son's response. He said, an act of forgiveness minus an act of obedience would have taken us down different paths as well. Meaning, had my wife's forgiveness not been followed by my act of obedience in responding to God, it would have taken us a different path. He said, I'm proud of you for becoming the man and father that God always intended you to be. I can only imagine the fun you will have now being a grandfather. He said, my heart just smiles for you and mom. I'm so lucky to be loved the way I am. God has blessed me with the most amazing parents and now grandparents to my son. So I love you, Dad. I've never one time held any resentment whatsoever. I swear that on my new son. You've been an amazing example for me to follow. Well, I do exactly what my hero did while I was growing up. I can only hope to reach as many people for Christ as you have now. The kingdom work you have done and are doing are forever priceless. And Tate is going to grow up knowing that his big daddy has the most important job in the world, telling people about Jesus. That's priceless. And uh, I wanted to share it with you this, this morning um, for obvious reasons. Had I not made the decision I made 20 years ago, you know, I had confessed to my wife, I had confessed to Pastor Hal, my buddy, and I had confessed to God my sin. But God brought me to Chicago and to the Ascension Convention and put me in front of 1,500 teenagers. Because like so many men, the thing that had controlled my life was my pride, the ego. And I tell men this all the time. Your ego in the flesh will always edge God out. But guys, I want you to understand something. I'm not telling you to kill your ego. And ladies, I need you to understand that too. God made us with a lot of testosterone. That's why when we're little boys and you're little girls, we want to have dirt clod fights and you want to play with dolls. We want to go see Braveheart and you want to see Sweet Home Alabama. It's just the way we're made. And that's okay. 
And gentlemen, it's okay to be ambitious. God wants you to be. God wants you to be all that he has called you to be. He wants you to take the gifts and the talents that are unique to you. We're not unique, but we are all uniquely gifted. And take whatever God has given you and be number one. But here's the difference. And here's what it took me 38 years to begin to understand. To his glory and for his purpose, not yours. Scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Then everything else will be added. And that's what I've told my son. When he came to me after getting a degree in business administration and told me he wanted to wrestle, I almost fell off my chair. But I understood something. And he said it. He said, Dad, I've heard you tell those kids. Follow your, your passion. Because whatever you're passionate about, you'll sacrifice whatever's necessary to get there. And he said, whether you know it or not, you've always been my hero and I've always wanted to be just like you. And that's what I said. I said, as long as you understand this, you've been a Christian since you were a teenager. You've been to Sri Lanka. You've been on mission trips. You've seen the world like a lot of people in our country never have. You have a real relationship with the Lord. I didn't have that until I was 38. I said, so you're not going to get the grace and the mercy that God has shown me. I said, here's what I'm telling you, son. If you go and you wrestle and you let the fame and the money and all that worldly stuff choke out what you've had with God, what do you think God's going to do? He'll take what's ever in the way out of the way. And if it's that career, it will be. I said, but if you'll do this and be the Tim Tebow of the WWE, and if you will always remember to, to seek first the kingdom, and then you'll continue to have God's favor in your life. And when he got off to the start at the beginning, being totally honest, there was a period there where he was getting sidetracked. And it was brought to my attention and we had one of those come to Jesus meetings, he and I. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't have to yell at him or nothing. I, I mean, I told him what I just told you. I said, I wanted you to go there and be Tim Tebow, not Razor Ramon. And he understood what that meant. This Razor Ramon guy is a guy who's just going in and out of rehab all the time. I said, you can talk about it all day long. but. And then I said this to him. I said, and one day you'll have a son. That's what got him. Because he realizes that what he admires in me today is what God has done with my life. Today, he has started his own foundation, a nonprofit organization uh, that is specifically for the intent of helping underprivileged and less fortunate kids. And his total focus today, I mean, he's. He's still in the wrestling industry, but he's told me, he said, Dad, he said, that's not the most important thing in my life. And I said, that's what it should be, you know, as, as long as God is number one. So again, gentlemen, lead by example. The movie Courageous, I don't know how many of you saw it, but if you missed it, you need to see it. When I go and do my own men's conferences, I start off with that movie because it's so uh, it says so well. And gentlemen, in this country today, there's an anemic need, anemic need for godly men. 
statistics. 10% of all professing Christians in this country don't go to church anywhere. 20% of every church, irregardless of denomination, just pick a church, 20% of that church congregation does 80% of the ministry and the work. Of the 20%, 80% of the 20% are women. I hope you guys are hearing me. That's what does my heart so good to know that there's a vibrant men's ministry here in this church. You know what? And every church should have one. And I hate to say this, but, you know, we live in a, and I mean, it's like pastors going to India. And I've been on three mission trips to India. Folks, there are, there are more people getting saved in third world countries than are here. We raise up our missionaries and we send them to places like India and we send them to third world countries. And there's a lot of those people. And Dr. Merrill is one of those who's helping that happen. And they're raising up their ministers and their men. Guess where they're sending their missionaries? They're sending them here. Why? Because they see how shallow our faith is. The third trip I made to India... A little, a little place called Orangabad on the way, as we were leaving, the last stop was a, a, an orphanage. Amongst those orphans were five little girls between the ages of five and seven that had been born deaf. There were 70 of us. I was, me and another wrestler were the only Americans, the rest of them were Canadians on the trip. And our leader asked if we could pray for these little girls. And so we separated into five equal groups, and we, we anointed these little girls, we poured oil on their heads, and we laid hands on them, and we prayed that Jesus would open their ears. All five of them, bang, 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 bang. Their caretaker standing behind them, clap. And I will never forget watching that little girl's head turn on a swivel and the look in her eye as she realized for the first time in her life she could hear first miracle I ever saw and you know what it seems those things happen more in those places have you ever asked yourself why faith a simple faith a trusting faith we have become so conditioned to all of the stuff we have been so blessed by God that we've become lazy as a nation And I don't know about you, but I get mad and I shake my fist at the, at the TV every day. I think that in Washington we need to clean house. I'm going to tell you, there's not one incumbent that I'll vote for. You know, when we are in such a mess that we can't have a group of men come together and, 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 and agree on balancing the budget and getting us out of debt, something's wrong. But I tell men everywhere, look no further than the mirror. Because it was the time in America when strong men built strong churches. And those strong churches built strong communities. And those strong communities built a strong nation that was one nation under God. I can't in all honesty say that about America today. 
the buck stops here. Until I was 38 years old, I was one of those. I was chasing after the world. I was chasing after the wind. And I was all concerned about me, 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 me. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, well, you know what, Ted? He says, you know, I work so hard to provide for my family, you know, for my kids and my wife that, you know, I can't, you know, I can't make all those functions. I said, well, you can't make them all. Can you make any of them? And then I asked him, I said, let me ask you something. I said, if you lived in a house that was a little smaller and drove a car that wasn't so expensive, then could you do it? That shut him up. I said, that's my point. What's more important to you, the big house and the fancy car or your kids? Whose needs are you putting first? Until I was 38, guys, it was all about me. But the day that my life changed, the day I became grateful to my Savior, and the day that I said, Lord, now I'm going to put the needs of my family and others ahead of mine. When, when my life focus shifted from career to family, everything changed. Now, when my wife forgave me, well, it wasn't like, okay, let's just carry on now. The next two years was two years of hell. The fire, the, the refining fire, so to speak. But here's the difference. As my wife saw me go time and time again to the Christian bookstore and get one devotional after another, and as she saw me buried in the Bible on a daily basis, as she began to see me, began to lead my family in prayer at home, lead my family to church, that's when the trust and the respect came back. So what was it? Was it the tears at the altar in the words? It was the fruit. And the same is true of Jesus. He said, you'll recognize the tree by its fruit. And I would just say to you men today, your father's, you know, father's Day, yes, happy Father's Day. And I hope you're that kind of dad. But just like I told my son, <clears throat> as I gazed at my grandson for the first time through that glass, tears rolled down my face, and I remembered how close I came to blowing it. But for my son to be able to write something to me that like that today, that's priceless. You know, I walked away from fame. I walked away from a lot of money. I'm an itinerant preacher. I'm not the million-dollar man. I'm not set for life. I'm not even close. And I trust folks like you. I couldn't tell you what I'm going to make next week or next month. But God has met my needs. I don't have a lot of money. And I'm in the process of selling this big house I don't need anymore. And I can't afford anymore. But what do I have? I have the love and the respect of my wife and my children. You can't put a price tag on that. And I have that peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. And it only comes from one place. I had a guy on Facebook today say to me, Ted, he says, I'm... He said, I just can't seem to quit drinking. I can't seem to quit, quit this. Said, Can you help me? I said, son, I said, the best advice I can give you is turn to Jesus. I said, you need to get professional. If you really mean it, you know, then you'll get professional help. And I said, but when you go to rehab, don't go to a rehab unless it is faith-based. Because there's a lot of those movie stars that they're going in and out of rehab out there in California all the time. 
They keep going back. Why? Because the only thing that's going to fill the void is Jesus. That's the only thing. So on this Father's Day, I have a lot to be thankful for. And, you know, it's just, I, I shared with Dr. Merrill when he was driving me here from the hotel. I said, you know, when you, when you work off of a computer and, the, and a calendar, I didn't know. Actually, I, I made an appearance at an independent wrestling event last night. That was the first booking. And when I saw that I was going to be in Chicago, I called and I said, hey, you know, you know, if you need a speaker, if you could use me on Sunday, I'd be happy to do it. I had no idea it was Father's Day because that's not on my computer. But boy, how God works. What better place for me to be on Father's Day sharing with a bunch of men what God started in my life 20 years ago right here. So my question to you today, gentlemen, is this. Do you need to forgive? Is there someone, is there a man, a father figure in your life that you need to forgive? Or anyone? Or do you need to be forgiven? There is bondage in bitterness. And believe me, there is freedom and forgiveness. That's what my son was saying when he told his mom, had she not made that choice in obedience, and she'll tell you, in obedience to God. It wasn't, she told me, she goes, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this in obedience to this voice of mine. She said, I'm a, I might not, be, I'm not, might not be strong enough to do this. She goes, I might leave next week. She said, I'll just give it my best try. But we went through the fire, and boy, the fruit and the peace that God has given all of us. I'm going to share with you a quote by Josh McDowell. And I'm going to say this to the guys in this room that might be suffering from that wound. First of all, I love this, this, this verse, Romans 8, 35 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will, a will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Josh McDowell wrote a book called The Father Connection. A couple of years ago, I was on a Christian cruise. I was one of the speakers, as was Josh McDowell. For those of you who don't know Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell wrote a book a long time ago now called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. <laughs> he set out to disprove Christianity, only to become one of the most, uh, one of the biggest authorities on why Jesus is God. My oldest son, Michael, is my prodigal. I shared with you the joy that I had with my boys today. You see, but when I got married the first time, I was that other guy. And my firstborn son, Michael, I didn't, his mother and I divorced when he was two. I had to get him back till he was 11. I thought everything was fine. He went through high school. Everything seemed fine. He got out of high school. Everything seemed good. 
Third year of college, he gets a girl pregnant. He goes, he runs back to Texas. He's embarrassed. He has a brother, a stepbrother, my ex-wife's son by another marriage who helped lead him down a path, but you make your own choices. Long story short, he ends up in jail for theft. Spent a year in jail. I thought when he got out, everything would be, you know, he'll, he'll learn his lesson. Well, he didn't get in any more serious trouble, but he still wasn't living a responsible life. Then he gets arrested again, and he's been in jail a year again. And here's the truth. The truth is he got arrested, and he shouldn't have been. When he first told me that, I, I didn't believe it. But the truth is they, they, they thought he was some bug, big drug dealer and gang leader, and he's neither. And they, and they know that. And they actually, two guys came to him and said, we're going to do our best to get you out of here right now. And he said, no, you're not. They said, what? And he said, it's true. I don't deserve to be here now, but it's no mistake that I am. You see, a few months ago, my son called me and he said, Dad, he said, the best way for me to understand what I'm about to tell you is, is this. He said, you know what Pastor Hal means to you? Pastor Howe is the guy who I came up to Chicago with on that bus, who's been my best friend and mentor ever since. He said, there's a guy in this jail, Lieutenant Joe Morris, former SWAT cop, most feared, most respected. Everybody knows, no nonsense. But he's a very strong Christian. He said, Lieutenant Morris has become my Pastor Howe. Now let me go back to what Josh McDowell said to me on a cruise ship two years ago as I talked to him about Michael. He said, Ted, quit preaching to him. He said, how many times have you told him? Probably more than you could count. And I said, yep. He said, Ted, he could spit it back at you. He could probably tell you word for word. He said, you have to treat your son the way God treats us. He said, love Michael because he's your son. He said, I'm not telling you to enable him. Don't send him money. Don't make it easy for him to continue to live a reckless life. He says, but the Bible says until a man comes to the end of himself. He says, you can preach until you're blue in the face and it's not going to, it's going to hit a brick wall. But until he hits the brick wall and he finally comes to that place of recognition where he finally does, does what you did and cried out to God and said, I, you know, I don't want this anymore. So treat him like God treats you and treats us. You love him just because he's your son. Not because he's doing right or doing wrong. Love him because he's your son. Encourage him when you talk to him, but quit preaching to him. And just pray that God will cross his path. Well, that's exactly what I started doing. And it was just about a year ago that I got that phone call. Michael, my son Michael, will get out of jail next month. And there seems to be a revival going on in this jail. And he's the leader of it. Uh, it's a very unique jail because the three most powerful uh, law enforcement officers in that jail are strong Christians. So there's almost like they're doing things in that. It's almost like they're having, you know, uh, they call it teen challenge. They call it life challenge now. But it's almost like life challenge going on in that jail because of those three men. But the, 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 the sheriff 
recently asked my son, he said, I want to take you with me. I want you to speak in my church on Sunday. God answers prayer. But I share it with you for this. I let the devil beat me up with that for a long time. Yeah, if you hadn't messed up, it's all your fault. This is, this is what happened. Well, I had a lot to do with it at the beginning. But ultimately, Michael has to be responsible for his choices. But the good news is, is I was a faithful to God and obedient to God. Instead of continuing to be bitter with my son and angry at my son, I gave him to God. And I prayed. And God answered my prayer. So I would say to you today, whatever it is you need, it's here in the room. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus at all, you've never made that decision. The Bible says today's the day of the Lord. He'll change your life just like he's changed mine. If you're here today and you're a dad or a son and you're carrying around that wound and God's strength, let it go. Because the only one that's going to destroy is you. And here's the other thing about forgiveness. When you forgive somebody, especially when they know they're guilty, whether they, whether they show it to you or not, it brings tremendous conviction. God said, when you forgive someone, it's like heaping coals on top of their head. Because he said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Conviction comes from God. The answer is give it all to God. Yeah, I'm still a work in progress, and there's no manual for being a great dad or great grandfather. But I told my son, I said, all those things that I didn't get to do with you all the time, God gave me the shot at it right here. And my son couldn't be more overjoyed about that. Do you need forgiveness today? Or do you need to forgive someone? Are you carrying around the bondage of bitterness? Whatever it is, whatever your need, the answer is Jesus. So with that said, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me now? And I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just ask that as I pray my prayer that you just speak to the Lord from your heart and bring to him whatever you need to bring. Let's go to him now. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. And I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Lord, I realize that in and of my own strength, the truth is I'm powerless. And God, I'm, I'm tired of failing and starting over. I'm tired of looking into the mirror and not liking that reflection I see. And Lord, today I understand, perhaps for the first time, that all I ever need is you. All that I ever need or will need can be found in one place, and that one place is Jesus. So today, Lord, I bring to you all of my sin. Lord, I bring to you all of my anger and my bitterness. And I ask you, Lord, from the bottom of my heart to forgive me. Lord, today, set me free from the bondage of habitual sin, repetitive sin. Set me free from the bondage of bitterness and anger. Lord, that I might walk with you in intimacy 
and then I might have the peace that you say surpasses all understanding. Lord, I pray that you would come into my life today not only a Savior, but Lord of my life. Lord, today I pledge that from this day forward I will begin to seek your perfect plan and purpose in my life. Lord, that I will no longer put my needs, my selfish desires at the forefront of my life, Lord, but that I will begin to serve my family and my community. And I will put the needs of others ahead of my own. And Lord, I will do that as I follow you. And Jesus, most of all, we thank you, Lord, for your willingness to die for us at Calvary's cross. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us today, for answered prayer, forgiveness, and for the deliverance from bondage. And we pray all this in your precious, matchless name, for there's no greater name under heaven and earth the name Jesus. Amen and amen. Now just for a second, folks, with eyes closed and heads bowed, nobody looking around the room. This is just something the way I do it. Eyes closed and heads bowed. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. First question would be this. If you happen to be here today and you've never made a decision for Christ and you just prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, would you just slip your hand in the air so I could see that? Any visitors here today, anybody make a first-time decision? God bless you, son. That's awesome. Next question. If you're here today and the Lord would say to you, you know what? You've been playing church, kind of been going through the motions. And today you feel like it's a day you need to put at the forefront of your life your relationship with him. If this has become a ritual, you know, you show up on Sunday, you go through the motions, and then you go home, and you never crack the Bible. You really don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today you'd say, that's what I need to change. I need to go back and do the things I did at first. Would you raise your hand in acknowledgement of that so I can acknowledge your decision? Okay, last question. If today you need the Lord's strength in letting go, you're suffering from the bondage and burden of unforgiveness. You either need to let something go or you need the strength to go and face a situation in your life where you need to seek that forgiveness. If that's your prayer today, would you raise your hand so I can acknowledge your decision? God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. God bless you. Okay, folks. Thank you very much. Listen, I would like to uh, just, for those who raised your hand, especially the one young man who raised his hand and said, you made a first-time decision today. There's a, there's a, right here, there's a basket. Come and get one of these. It's like a starter's kit. This is where you need to get started. I would just share with you that you need to get a church home, and this is a pretty good one if you don't have one right here. They do it right here. Uh, but for those of you who are dealing with those issues and the bondage,
please today. Address it today. Share, share what you, if you raise your hand, you need to share that with somebody today, whether it's one of your pastors or a really close friends, somebody that you're accountable to in an accountability group, because we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. And sometimes we just can't do those things by ourselves. I just want to thank uh, Dr. Merrill for, and again, inviting me and, and allowing me to come share my heart with you. And I would ask that you would pray for me and for Heart of David Ministry. When the service is over, I'll be in the foyer. Uh, uh, I have a book and a DVD. The DVD is my full story. Uh, I've got pictures as well. Of course, those make good dartboards. But all of that stuff goes not to me, but to the ministry. And just so you know what my ministry supports, uh, like my son, I have a very uh, strong heart for underprivileged and needy children. And uh, this, this human trafficking that's going on is something else that I have gotten very much, you know, becoming very aware of and something that needs to be given to. And so when you support me and buying some of that stuff, that's what you're supporting. So God bless you again. And thank you very much, Dr. Merrill. Whenever, whenever Ted DiBiase comes to be with us, he always has a challenge, right? Always challenge your heart. What a, what a great thing that uh, he didn't plan it to be here on Father's Day. We thought it would be a great thing if he could come on Father's Day. And what a challenge. I, I just pray you'll, you'll uh, go over every part of the message. Or you can listen freely online at uh, christlifechurch.org if you want to hear the message again. But he had a real word for us today, and I trust you'll take it to heart that we can live for God in this hour. His example, to think of 20 years ago, it's a teenage convention, Ascension Convention. Pastor brought him because he was going through this crisis. He was the first one to run down the aisle to that altar. Been serving God for the last 20 years, restored his family. What a testimony. And I think God can do for every one of us that cleansing that we need. And thank you, Ted, for sharing with us this one. We're going to receive an offering because we want to bless him. If the uh, men will get ready, then we're going to have our benediction. And uh, don't forget, men, that there are gifts up here on the table for all the men. But we're going to uh, receive our offering this morning because we want to bless Ted DiBiase as uh, he's come to minister this morning. Pastor Darrell and his family are on vacation. Last week, Ted told me he was having really down physically, and he bounced right back, and they're away for a week of rest, and so pray for them, doing fine. Would you come forward? Let's receive this offering this morning, and, and just out of your heart, thank God for what he was able to do in his life, and uh, he just shared with me the open doors. I mean, just continually open doors in the ministry, uh, in, in uh, conventions, in men's meetings, uh, Open doors all over Great Britain, Canada, well, the United States. Let's just stop and pray, shall we? Pray a blessing. Brad, would you lead us in prayer? As this men of valor morning, that uh, we could have a great, great part in ministering to him as he goes forth.
Amen. Give rejoicingly that you can be a part of what uh, he's doing and that it's part of really our ministry, growing out from the thing. And, and to me, to sit here this morning and hear that what happened in the Ascension Convention 20 years ago now is coming down to the second and third generation. His son, who's a wrestler, is also living for God with his own foundation. And now his son has been born. God's done a wonderful thing. That can happen for each one of us. Anybody say amen? Amen. amen. We just stand for the blessing of the Lord, and then immediately following this ancient blessing, we're going to uh, have uh, you come up and pick up one of these flashlights. When we ordered them, I said to uh, Pastor Fred, give me one right now because I have to have a flashlight in India so I can see my clock in the middle of the night and stuff. And uh, so I got the first one. Help yourself uh, for all the men that are here on Father's Day. Um, let me just give you the... The word that Pastor Darrell gives every week. The Lord bless you. May he bless you today. And protect you. Protect us, Lord. Protect me as I go to India. May the Lord smile on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. May the Lord show you his favor. Give you his peace. You know, as I leave for India this afternoon... The reason I'm going right now is the start of the new, uh, the new school year. Summer's over with there. It's hot, 120 degrees for May and June, and we're still in hot weather. But uh, they, they wanted to come and deliver the opening address and then teach the entire student body all week. I'll be 9, till, nine in the morning till noon teaching 150 students. And then in the afternoon I go teach the graduate students, then preach in the church at night. So I really need your prayers as I go. God's going to bless but the reason he uh, said, what I want you to do is come and deliver the initial address to start this year because our theme for this year is the Lord, the, the year of God's favor. It's going to be the year of God's favor in the Bible school, the ladies' Bible school, the seminary. And I thought of this, I'm going to share it uh, Sunday night when I preached there. May the Lord show you his favor. We read it every week. It's the year of God's favor, as I preached a few weeks ago. And let's see that. Thank you, Lord, for this great morning. I pray, Lord, that the words of this man that's been transformed, even the next generation, that you're working. I thank you for your power. Work in us with power. And bless all the men and all the people that are here today. Be with me as I go. Be with Pastor Darrell as they're resting. And thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon our lives and our families. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Men, come forward and help yourself. God bless you all. Amen.